Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Bike Karma Bicycle Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown, and welcome to the show. This is a big temp trying to bring all bicycle-loving people together to share stories and make connections. If you like to wrench, ride, collect, or do anything with bicycles, then this is probably the place for you. If you ride in the woods, it's probably crossed your mind, but today we talk to somebody who actually found a body in the woods. We then try and solve the mystery of why my Schwinn Varsity is so darn heavy. And then we talk to Glenn and Casey from KG Caps about their adventures since the last time I spoke to them. You have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I really appreciate you coming along for the ride on mine. Let's roll out. So I think it's totally healthy for somebody to have other interests besides their main interest. So besides being a science teacher and besides being a bike guy, I also like to relax and unwind by reading cozy mysteries. These are the cheeseball mysteries that, you know, have cats in them most of the time. And they're never gory and they always end with some type of justice or some type of happy ending where they find out who did it or whatever. They can be quirky, they can be funny, it's kind of like Murder, She Wrote. And it's almost cliche that people find bodies all the time within the first few pages. So either somebody will be walking or hiking or something like that. And it doesn't really bother you so much because it's fiction. It's a fantasy. It's escape. I mean, everybody from Agatha Christie to Sherlock Holmes to CSI Miami has used this plot device. And yet being out in the woods and being out in, you know, less traveled places, there's a chance that we might run into real bodies. And I've always wondered, what would I do if that was me? Well, I guess luckily I haven't found anyone, but here's a story from somebody who did. Rob Bunting found a body while mountain biking in the woods. And it wasn't a cheesy mystery, it was a person. And that's the difference. So let's hear Rob tell his story about finding a body while mountain biking in the woods. When you find a, a, a dead human in the woods, man, it is a sobering experience. Hi, my name is Rob Bunting. I'm a lifelong rider. I'm now a uh, relatively recently a grandfather. I live in Connecticut and I'm an artist. I'm a metalsmith and I've always ridden, always will ride all kinds of bikes, you know, gravel, road, whatever. I've got, I've got some stories. The best one is the one I'm about to tell you. All right. Well, this is a little. This is a while ago, but we were visiting my in-laws in southern Vermont. My father-in-law had recently retired, and they were kind of in the bushes in southern Vermont. And we were there for Easter weekend. And if I was going to Vermont for a weekend, of course, I would bring my bike. So I brought my hardtail and took off for a ride on a Saturday afternoon. And 
um, this is before cell phones. Nobody knew where I was going exactly. Went off in the woods. They're on an orchard hill, so there's a lot of cool stuff to, to explore, a lot of fire roads and that kind of stuff. So, and it was spring, so there's a lot of snow melt, so there were a lot of kind of spontaneous streams and a lot of water to deal with. So I rode into the woods a couple miles and crossed a lot of a lot of stuff. I came to a point where I couldn't ride anymore. I had to I had to carry it. So I I stopped and I picked my bike up and I was just about to step over some fallen trees and stuff. The reason I couldn't cross was there were fallen trees and stuff. So I had to climb over some stuff. And I kind of did a double take because I saw a, a funny color in the, in the, up ahead of me. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a hundred feet ahead of me, seventy-five feet ahead of me. Um, not even that far actually. It's, it, it was it was dark and it was in the valley and there was a lot of water and it was maybe two thirty in the afternoon but in this little valley kind of thing so anyway I see this funny color and I did a double take and I looking at it first I thought it was a a pine branch like when a pine branch breaks off close to the tree and there's that knob of of you know fresh wood color and I looked at it again it's like what is that and it was a a bare foot. And it was heel, it was heel up, just one bare foot, and there was water all around it. And I said, "Oh my God!" And I, I first I thought it was just like a disembodied foot. I mean, it was, it was that kind of darkness and and wetness. And and I followed it. I could see, you no, know, it was blue jeans, and I saw a blue plaid shirt. And I was like, "Oh my God!" It's a guy. And he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't moving and he wasn't alive. He couldn't have been alive because he was not moving and he was face down in the stream. You know, they talk about fight or flight and it isn't like in, on TV where you, oh, I'll go check and check his pulse and check his wallet or whatever. It was fight or flight. And I was like, I had no idea if the guy had just been dropped by somebody or what. So it was flight for me. So I, I turned around. And I rode like I rode like a god. I, I was launching off of things that I've never I would never consider doing before. And I had to climb up this hill. It took forever. It was like I said, a couple miles maybe. And um, I just rode like I was possessed. I was I was in my mid late 30s, so I was in pretty good shape. I just went terracing back to the to the house where everybody's getting ready for Easter. I walked. I walk in the house and I've got this look on my face that I can only imagine. My wife is putting the, the cloves in the Easter ham, you know, and she said, what, what's wrong? And I was like, I just found a, a dead guy in the woods. She said, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not kidding. I was like, my pulse is probably about 190 at that point. One of my son, my youngest son, my eldest son, who was pretty young at the time, came running in. He's like, what, what dad, what's going on? You know, I, tried to regain my composure and I said no I found I was off in the woods and I found I found a, a, a dead guy in the woods and which is like everybody who spends a lot of time in the woods nightmare I mean I used to do I went to school in Vermont I, you know spent a lot of time in the woods mountain biking and everything else and and my brother's a hunter you know you're it's always something in the back of your mind like what you know it's kind of the worst thing you can see so I um, settled myself down my wife 
decided to call the state police. There wasn't even a cop in the town that they had resident troopers in, in small towns in Vermont. So she called the this you know the resident trooper. They called it into the main office or the main whatever. And the, first the guy laughed and he's like, "Who is this? What do you you know?" They had no missing persons reports. Nothing. It was on the right on the Connecticut River in southern Vermont. So right up against New Hampshire. And then they realized that, you know, she was serious and I was serious. And they sent a trooper out pretty quickly and they did a quick interview. And he said, Would, could you show us where it is? Would you show us where it is? I said, yeah, as long as you have that Glock on your app, I'll take you there. And so we went, I got in the car and um, we went down the hill and as far as we could up to this there was like a little janky trailer at the end of where you could, you know, drive a car. And we walked in the woods, you know, for a little bit and finally got to the point. And I said, all right, he's right there, right there. So there were, I think there were just two guys with me. So one guy stayed with me and the other guy went up ahead to look. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like a wimp. I mean, I just, you know, I saw it and I was like, got the hell out of there like, crazy and he said said do not feel bad he said I, w I was the first guy at a really grisly murder scene once and out in the woods and he said it took me a half an hour before i could gather my gather myself to walk up and you know check things out so i said oh i guess I, whatever but i still felt like wow it was not like in the movies you know So the other cop checked him out. Yes, he was dead. I can't remember. If, I think he had ID on him because they, they knew who he was. And it turned out they called it in. Turned out that his he had been missing for a couple of weeks. And um, he was from uh, the Midwest. And they think he had become despondent because he couldn't hold a job. And he was, he, he was kind of, you know, he was, wasn't doing very well. Anyway, they, they got him out of there. And that was... That was like the worst thing that I've ever, <laughs> the worst experience I've ever had biking was, was that happening. And there was only one road out of, out of the only way into town was past that road. And we had, a, I had a, a movie date with my wife that night. We were like, oh God, you got to go past that road to get out of here. And I kept imagining what, what he would have looked like. And I mean, it's all the worst, all your worst nightmares and, it's actually part of the reason, a large part of the reason my in-laws moved from that house because they just couldn't get past the, the image of this, of this poor kid. He was like 20 years old and it was pretty horrible. It took me a couple of years, seriously, before I could ride in woods again on, you know, on trails that had, that started to close in around me. I needed to be like out in the open and, you know, freewheeling i couldn't i would t i would turn around i would get to a close a close spot where the trail got tight and boop, nope not doing that turned around took a couple of years got over it but it was it was pretty bad would you ever ride that trail again oh yeah now i would i mean it was a long time ago and you know it was a one-shot deal i mean he, he basically i have thought about it like what what are the odds of finding something like that twice in your life and I decided they were way outside you know hitting the powerball lottery but he went off in the woods he had to know where he was he had just crossed the Connecticut River I, we think the cops think that you just decided and uh, you know walked in the woods until he couldn't go anymore he was he was barefoot for one thing and it was April in Vermont apparently and the, the cause of death was listed as hypothermia and apparently what happens when I mean, a lot of 
a lot of your listeners will know this. When you become start to become hypothermic, you um, you start to do weird things. Your body tries to preserve the core, your core heat, so it starts to shut down the blood supply to your extremities and your brain, and you start to get confused. And a lot of times, they'll find hunters lost in the woods with their clothes piled up on a rock, and they'll be naked or close to it because they get hot. They just get you know delusional, and that's um, probably what happened to him. I mean, he he was barefoot and you know on a rocky trail, a really gnarly trail. So he wasn't in his right right mind. I actually the cops told the the parents the parent it was like I said before cell phones before you know, the web and stuff. The parents had called anxiously for for weeks to see if any if there's any news about their son and they were actually on their way from home in you know in the Midwest in their car and they called in and and they finally got news that you know we might have found him and um the mother actually sent me a a note and it was their only child that, that of that you know that that marriage was their only child and she told me a little bit about his history but she said if you wouldn't mind I would love to talk to you and so and she left her number and I I called her and I probably talked to her for almost a couple hours. I mean, she's, it was, I think it was this thing where she, I was the last person to have a connection to her son. You know, there was some kind of thing. I was the last person that saw her son that wasn't a cop or whatever, you know? And, um, it was really heartbreaking. I mean, it was, it was, it was hard. I was a young dad then and now I'm a grandpa, so I can totally, totally see it. But yeah, it was, it was. Well, at least it helped to bring some closure to the family. Yeah, like you were saying, that mom was really grateful to have somebody to talk to to bring closure to it. Because what's even worse is if you didn't find that body. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Or and that poor, hard enough losing a kid, but never knowing what happened to them would yep. destroy you know the rest of your life. Yep. So I mean, yeah. No, I I, I, told, I felt really good I about that. I think you did a good service there. Yeah. No, it was it was like how could I not call her? You know, here's the you know the 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 mother of this kid and she's re- she reaches out and I was like man it's like you talk about a human moment well thank you Rob for sharing your story and helping us to see the other side of finding the body in the woods helping to bring closure to a family I appreciate it you can go see his pictures and his cat and his bikes and his other adventures at Rob Bunting that's rob.bunting on Instagram design of a bicycle hasn't changed very much over the last hundred years. So it's kind of that double triangle design, the double diamond that we all know. One thing that has progressed quite a lot is the weight of bicycles. The weight is considered to be one of the big things that determines the quality of a bike. The lighter the bike, the higher the perceived quality. So we've gone to different materials. We've gone from steel to different types of steel, to aluminum, to carbon, all looking to remove some of the weight from the equation. Why does lighter mean better? Because if a bike's lighter, it requires less effort to pedal. And if there's less effort to pedal and you put in the same effort, you can go faster. But just like when you try on your suit that you got married in, things have changed over the last few years. So when you go to pick up an older bike, you might be surprised by how heavy it is, or how heavy it seems to be, compared to 
your modern bike. In my mind, I've kind of classified bikes into the following categories by weight. There's a two-handed bike where you need two hands to lift it. There's a one-hand bike. And then there's four fingers, three fingers, two finger, or the lightest bike would be a one finger bike, meaning that I can lift that bike comfortably just with one finger. And believe it or not, there are bikes out there that you can buy that you can lift with one finger. This is a story about a bike that is not a one finger bike. In fact, it's curiously heavy, like heavier than you'd expect it to be, even for someone dealing with vintage Chicago made bikes. So come explore as we apply the collective brain trust of the 2018 Weathersfield Bicycle Swap Meet to the problem of why is this Schwinn so heavy? All right, so we have the collective brain trust of the Bicycle Swap Meet. We are looking at an old Schwinn Varsity. And we want to know if this was made with solid steel or if it's a weighted version because it's the heaviest bike that we've ever lifted. Well, that's because it's a varsity. It's a varsity. This is a solid fork. There's a motor in that frame. Guaranteed to be impervious to running into curves and walls. It weighs as much as a gorilla. Yeah, and it's, well, that's, it's a varsity. That's what they're supposed to weigh. This is exactly <laughs> how my varsity was set up with the generator lights and the racing fenders. And my bike weighed 37 pounds. Full brazing and all the lugs. Yeah, this is a forged Four. Is there lead inside of here to make you train harder or something <laughs> or what? You do not have to add training no, weights no, to Did this. they stuff they pennies inside the exercise bike? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the maximum amount of exercise possible. All right. So when I bought mine, I bought it from Jack's bike shop. He says, yes, we have Schween raising bicycles. <laughs> Did they sell this by the pound? And you guys used well, to work in bike shops. It was shops. a good deal by the pound. Yeah. They were, mine was $95. <laughs> we sold them, we sold them at, at, at Western Auto. And, uh, mine was 95 We had tons of them. This is a sky blue color. They come in, what was the orange? Lemon, well, I don't know. I had lemon, lemon yellow. Lemon yellow. I had a green one. They're all red. That was lime green, I think it was yeah, called. It's more like uh, emerald. Kind of a metallic y kind of look to yeah. it. Yeah. And you gotta love the seat. And the orange ones, yeah. they, they were. Nice post. I gotta say, this is the only bicycle without a motor on it that I would be scared of it falling on me and not being able to lift it off. You know, it's got Schwinn approved parts. That's right. So. Thank God and for that. And if it's approved by Schwinn, Schwinn there you go. it's gotta be better. good. Those are the days of the franchise stores. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. The brain trust of the Weathersfield Bicycle Festival. Thank you very much. Solving the mystery. I know this episode took a little bit longer than usual to get out, and I really appreciate your patience. There's some special things in the pipeline. I got to interview Mike Wolf from American Pickers. I got to interview William Bevington, the author of Japanese Steel. Yup, that's that Japanese bicycle book that everybody's gonna want for Christmas. I also got to talk to the lady who wrote the article about the bicycle that was uncovered by a glacier melting. 
again, this isn't even my day job. I talked to a college student who designed a bicycle that can be ridden on Mars. I've been working hard, people, and I really appreciate your patience with me for taking a little bit extra time to get this episode out. For all the people whose interviews and segments and stories are in the pipeline, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And whoever downloaded in Mongolia, high five. High five for you. Now back to the show. So imagine looking at a guitar. Right on the fretboard are these little dots, and they occur only on certain frets. And sometimes the little dots are plastic, but other times they're made out of oyster shell, and that's called mother of pearl. And they're carefully cut and inlaid in there. Sometimes they're just dots, and sometimes they're like birds or other things. Well, now imagine the top of your bicycle. So follow your handlebars towards the center, to where it meets the frame and the tube, that's the stem. And right on top of the stem is this little circle on modern bikes called the top cap. Now imagine taking the fretboard and having an idea that includes the top cap. And that's what the folks at KG Caps did. They took the artistry of wooden shell inlay and they brought it to this little tiny coin sized top cap on the bicycle. I thought they looked really cool. And so I wanted to interview them. And I finally caught up with them at NABS, the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. And unfortunately the recording that I got there was just, it was great, the story, but the quality of the recording I just couldn't use. So we re-recorded just a little while ago and between NABS and then, so much had changed. So this is a montage of the adventures of the folks from KG Caps. had lots of adventures since the last time I saw you. Yeah, no, I was I was just kind of thinking about that. You went for a bike trip across country and your bikes got stolen. Did they get recovered? No, no. They're, uh, it's still on offer. Apparently the guy is in jail in another state, but the local police can't get to him for some reason, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm a uh, Glenn Phillips. I'm from uh, Clintwood, Virginia. Currently live in Petaluma, California. We're part of KG Cats and uh, also work at a local bike shop, Beachy Sport, here in town. I'm Casey. I'm from Southern Maryland and I also work at KG Cats, but uh, my day job is working for White Industries. They make bicycle components. Yeah, so actually when we were at NABS, it was kind of an interview with White Industries. Casey talked with uh, Alec White of White Industries and ended up accepting a job. So we packed all of our stuff up and we decided we were going to do a mountain bike trip across the country. So first stop. I think we made it to Indiana. We didn't get to ride there, but then we rode in Kansas City. Then we actually got stuck in a blizzard in Kansas. That was a, another 
crazy experience where they actually shut the, the road down. Then we ended up in Colorado. We ended up actually meeting James from Black Sheep uh, while we were in Colorado and got to ride around there, which was really, really great riding. Uh, then we made our way over into Utah, and then we got to ride Moab for a couple of days, which was absolutely amazing. And then we met one of her friends, Casey's friends, from uh, when she lived in New Zealand. And that night we came back and the, the bikes had been cut off the vehicle. They had gotten stolen. I've been following you guys on Instagram and I was happy to finally get to meet you guys up at NAB and then, okay, wow, I'm jealous. They're out on this big bicycle tour and then I see the picture of the back of your bike rack on the back of your car with sand bikes and I'm like, oh no. Yeah. So, that was well, how we felt. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when it, when it happens, like the initials. Actually, I asked Casey, I was like, did you bring the bikes in last night? And then, you know, that's when we both had that really awful sinking feeling, uh, which was a pretty traumatic experience, as you can imagine. It's kind of bad because you start kind of, I don't know, judging people in a way, just kind of overly suspicious. So I, I think that's probably the worst part of it, is just it kind of colors your perspective of people, and it's not necessarily in a good way. So. Now you actually were able to kind of figure out what happened to them? Yeah, so we posted to the local Salt Lake City mountain bike group. We ended up having like 10,000 people or something saw the post, which was pretty amazing. But uh, actually someone from Bike Index, which we, after we submitted the police report, we reported it to them as well. And they found it on OfferUp. It was, it was kind of you know, hopeful at one point because we thought we were going to get the box back, but um, that's what's kind of weird. It's still on offer up and we don't have any bikes, so. So can you imagine being able to see your stolen bicycles online and because of a technicality, the police can't do anything to the guy who posted them there because he's been arrested and is in jail in another state? It's kind of crazy, but happened to them. So I was kind of in a dialogue with the police, which is kind of a weird thing where you, the police are very busy people, and it's kind of funny, you know, felt like you had to pester them a little bit, but, you know, they probably have better stuff to do than uh, look for our bikes. But they were actually really, really helpful and informative, but like I said, what ended up happening is the, the person who stole it ended up getting arrested in another state, and they apparently can't contact him or something to find out where the bikes are. And another interesting tidbit about that is when I had sent out the message to the Salt Lake City mountain bike crew, one guy actually sent me another person's profile and said, if I had to guess, this is the person that stole your bikes. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was actually that guy. And and that was like the day after. And then once we saw his profile on OfferUp, it was you know confirmed that it was the same guy. Um, you know, pretty frustrating experience because, you know, the worst part about the whole thing was is once they were stolen, like, we still had to get to California. We didn't have a place to live yet, so that was another pressure that we kind of had to deal with that, you know, you don't ever plan for that in your trip, so that was pretty devastating. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that happened to you guys. Have you ended up getting new bikes since? Uh, yeah, I, I ended up getting a Trek Flash, and then and then I've got a cross bike. Yeah, I uh, I actually purchased Alec White's old bike off of him. We're a pretty similar build and weight, so um, 
yeah, I have a Nolly with all white industries components, so riding the brand. Wow, wow. that kind of worked out good in the end then, I guess. It did. It was dramatic at the time. Yeah. I still, I try and be all zen and stuff and kind of try and let it go, but I find myself periodically when I'm looking on Craigslist still kind of like keeping an eye out for my old bike that got stolen about six years ago from the garage. And it's (laughs) never, it's not so much that I need that bike anymore. It's just that it's a closure. I need closure. I want to know what happened to it. I want to know where it is. I want to know who's riding it now. It's kind of like, it's like you have a relationship with your bike and then you miss your bike and you just want to know what had happened to it you know yeah and that's what's kind of weird about my bike i mean hers never showed up online but you can go on offer up right now and see it like it's, it's in this weird kind of purgatory situation where you know i can see it but i can't do anything about it and that's that's almost worse i think i can't imagine how we probably go to look at it every few days and just be like, is there any updates? What's it doing now? Oh, man. You love your bike. You get with a bike and you try and personalize it and you do little things here and there and that's what you guys do. You make custom top caps. So she uses all types of woods and shell materials to make these amazing little teeny pieces of art, which are like just slightly bigger than a coin. I asked her how she started making these little miniature pieces of art. Uh, We got started one drunken night on the couch when Glenn finally figured out what I did for a living. And uh, he was like, I think you should do that on bicycles. So it kind of started as a joke. Uh, I just tried to see if I could could make it happen for him and I made him a cap with uh, his his school logo on it VMI and um, he took it into the shop and the guys really liked it and they were like you should do that <laughs> so that was kind of the you, start you're using materials like different wood and mother of pearl inlay and you're making some really intricate designs so what type of technique do you use to do that it's cnc machining yeah i just took what i had been taught how to do on guitars and just transferred it to a much smaller piece of material we actually got started on the wood because uh one of glenn's coworkers wanted he actually wanted a wooden top cap and he asked us if we could please try to make a wooden top cap which i did and um i I didn't make it out of the most stable piece of wood and I took it into the shop and uh, let them try to put it on a bike and um, yeah, it immediately broke, so. I was the one that actually tried to put it on the bike and uh, and it was actually, it was beautiful. Uh, it, a design that we've done plenty of times since, it's the compass design, but that, I mean, that was the first one and it was, I mean, it was really awesome. But <laughs> when I put the bolt in, uh, I also used a countersunk bolt, which was probably not a good idea, and it just exploded. So that was kind of a fun learning experience. Yeah, I went to the bar. How long did it take you to make that cap? Uh, I mean, probably like a, a week of designing and planning, and then I, it, it took me, an, it was all day to actually fabricate it. But yeah, so we learned <laughs> that it, you can't make top hats out of wood, and there's a reason that no one else is doing that. So um, we started, uh, I think it was actually my boss at the time had the idea to, to cover it with a veneer. 
because we had just been inlaying the actual metal top, the aluminum top caps themselves. So she was like, well, what if you just put the wood on top of the aluminum? You know, the way they do with fretboards on top of the, the neck base. That's what we ended up doing, and it worked a lot better. People call you to customize and do designs that they've seen already that you've done. They could ask you to do those over again, but they also give you custom work as well. Yeah, yeah, people really like the whole custom side of it. Yeah, we were really successful in Maryland. The shop that I worked at was very generous and let me use the machines when they were down. And on the side, Olsen Inlay, shout out to them because they really got us started. And we talked about in another episode, I had talked to Jen Green, who had done bicycle head badges. And that's another place where people like to customize them as well. And she oh, had yeah. gone over she some of amazing. the, so you could have a matching head badge and a top cap as well. Yeah, we actually had a customer. I know for sure that there was one salsa warbird that we we did a cap for this lady. And she also got the, the head badge done by Jen Green's. What was the most unusual custom job you've been asked to do? You know, we had someone that basically wrote us a poem of what his girlfriend's happy place was and asked us if we could please turn that into a cat. So that was an interesting experience because it really had no guidelines, just like a series of words and images. So it was actually, it's been one of my favorite designs that we ended up coming up with. It was the cap on my bike when it got stolen. I was a little bummed about that. Oh, no. That's beautiful, though. I mean, that's amazing. But uh, I, think, I think we titled the design Happy Place. I think you can find it on our Instagram feed, but yeah. And, then, and what it's supposed to be is kind of like if you look up up into the woods from the ground and just kind of see the, the trees and the light and how all that looks from the ground. And it, it, it's very abstract, but it, it was also very nice. It's like the smallest art ever. It's pretty amazing. And so yeah, you, wanna... you should see the tweezers. <laughs> she has to pick the pieces up and put them in there. I mean, I'm a little removed from that aspect of it. And I, when I see it pull out the tweezers, I'm always super impressed. I can't even remember all the ones we've done. Yeah, I think, I think we're up to around 100 right now. One kind of neat Petaluma story. So when we moved out here, of course, we didn't really know anybody. You know, through wide industries, obviously, and just being in Petaluma in general, it's just a crazy amount of bike people and bike frame builders. I mean, Soulcraft, C-Tip, Retrotech, you know, all those guys are out here. Uh, Bruce Gordon. But through a friend at work, someone mentioned that we should meet Ross Schaefer, who you founded Salsa. We were fortunate enough to meet Ross, and uh, he's actually kind of teaching me some of the machining parts. And ironically, he's building guitars now. So, you know, we went from guitars to bikes, and now, you know, the founder of Salsa went from bikes to guitars. But it turned out, actually, that the place that Casey worked for actually sold him Shell for some of the inlay. So that it was just kind of like the world seemed a lot smaller when we heard that. Well, thank you guys for being so incredibly patient. If people want to go see The Happy Place, or any of your other designs, where should they go? 
If you want to check out our work, uh, we actually have a website now, KG Caps, and that's K-A-G-E-Y-C-A-P-S dot com. We've got some of our stocks up there, and, and people can also contact us um, either on the website or through Facebook or Instagram. Well, thank you very much, and great luck out there. White Industries, wow. That is living the dream right there. <laughs> I wish you well, and thank you very much again. Thank yes. you. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Well, you got to the end of another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle Podcast. I'd like to thank the band Mobjack for our opening and closing music. You can check them out at mobjackmusic.com or anywhere where you get music. I'd like to thank Rob, Glenn, and Casey, and all the people from the Weathersfield swap meet this year who helped figure out why that Schwinn was so heavy. I want to thank all the people who've downloaded over 25,000 times in all 50 states and over 50 countries, now including Mongolia. Big wave. I'd like to thank all the people who sent well wishes for Taryn having his appendix removed. He is recovering nicely. I'd like to thank PBGB24BB05 for following. Also, PobBob531 and PBGOD2A60F. Thank you for following. That was kind of like a vision test almost. I'd like to thank Classic Dropouts up in Maine for sending me some cool stickers. Yeah. While the show is mostly a commercial-free labor of love, if you have a product like cool frames or really cool wool socks or helmets or what have you to do with bicycles, hit me up. We can talk about it. You can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. The Bike Karma Podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, including copyright, trademark, and everything else are reserved. Well, Taryn, you know what time it is time for the abc quick check you want to help me out yeah sure so a is for arrogance number one cause of death <laughs> i thought of that right there arrogance what about appendix that too no we, we can't check that anymore because it's gone all right what is the abc quick check really for air b breaks c chain <laughs> you forgot didn't you no yeah well, I'll, I'll give it to you. You've been out of commission for a week. So check all the parts of your bike before you go on a ride because you never know what might come undone in between rides. Somebody bumps into your bike or some nefarious individual will touch it and do something weird. So check your bike before you go barreling down the hill. What is nefarious? I don't know. It sounds bad. Why don't you just say bad? Some bad person. All right. Well, we could do that. All right. All right, dude. I guess you're trying to keep it wheel. Mm-hmm.